I'm going to recommend it later and and fuck off with my original recommendation. I think you... Ha- I mean, that's fine. You can recommend it again. It's totally I'll recommend fair. both of the things I was thinking of. Then. I started... Because we watched it, and I think the reason we... End- we watched it together, and I think the reason we ended up watching it together is because you recommended it. Yes. All right. I'm infecting your brain with my, my likes. It was all right. Ah, oh, you, you piece of shit. You... <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? This is the Big Bang Theory theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. The bit with the window is pretty good, or the the nails or whatever. I can't yeah. remember exactly how she does it. The boards with the nails, that was pretty good. Yeah, we're... we're you know what I just realized? What's is that, that movie, Kyle? Is that movie basically Home Alone, but for, like, adults? Okay, so here's the thing. First of all... Yes, you're listening to the Big Bang Theory Theory. We've already introduced ourselves as the show where we watch the television show, The Big Bang Theory. And then we talk about it and pick it apart and figure out why it's good or bad or whatever the hell. But also sometimes, like right now, we talk about other stuff, including the movie You're Next. And when I was watching it with my brother, he kept saying, Home Alone, Home Alone. And I was annoyed, just as I'm annoyed by you right now, because, yes, they do set traps Home Alone is also a movie where someone sets traps. That does not mean that any other movie where someone sets traps to uh, ward off home invaders is like Home Alone. I, this is... I, I was thinking of uh, the, the tweet where uh, someone wrote, you know, oh, someone, seeing, someone who's only seen Boss Baby watches their <laughs> second movie. This is giving it, me strong Boss Baby vibes. Yeah. Exactly. And I got that from the Home Alone. Also, he, my brother, not not you yet, kept comparing it to The Purge. And I'm like, yes, these are both home invasion movies. They are not the first. They are not the only two. And in Home Alone particularly, though, uh, Home Alone is unique in that it wasn't an upsetting home invasion movie. That Kevin was still setting traps that would maim or murder a person... But it was done in such a cartoonish way as to be charming. And so well, when that... to see traps in another movie and to be like, oh, that reminds me of the other movie where the people didn't die, but were still subject to a lot of horrible abuse. Yes. No, it's mostly, I think it's just like someone turns the tables unexpectedly through traps. That's not, there just aren't that many movies that fall into that category. It's not a problem. I do, I acknowledge all of the differences between the two movies. Yes, I do get it was a bad comparison between Your Next and Home Alone. Um, at least calling it just Home Alone for adults is weird. Although I would like to point out, after he gets hit in the face with a paint can like the third time, Joe Pesci is pretty explicit that he is going to commit child murder yes. when he gets hit. I mean, he he increasingly, like if you take out like the fun, like... Uh, I think John Williams wrote that wrote the score that plays in the in the house invasion scene. But if you mm-hmm. take out like the fun score and like the bit with the zip line, a lot of that third act is just Joe Pesci crawling through the house, being like, "I'm gonna fucking murder that kid. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna." I think he literally says, "I'm gonna tear out all of your fingernails at one point." But I could just be imagining that. No, that sounds about right. Uh... Yeah, not it's it's bizarre that it works so well. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be a kids movie. I think it is totally appropriate for kids. It's incredible though in how it gets the balance just right that you never feel bad for cuz I guess, you know, maybe maybe Joe Pesci even though it's a family movie 
does need to announce that he is ready to murder a child so no one feels any sort of remorse as he gets his head caught on fire. <laughs> There's the multiple paint cans. There's, there is a one-to-one comparison here, I think, where uh, Daniel Stern, when he's coming up a set of stairs, steps on a nail, and in his world, he makes a goofy face and falls backwards. In your next, the person screams in agony as he tries to get the board with the nail off of his foot. Um... And so it's, but yeah, the same things handled just a little differently totally works. It does kind of make me want like Ari Aster to make like the Home Alone reboot. Only at the end of this one, they catch the kid and the last 30 minutes are just like, you know, it's like the Wicker Man. They just ritually murder this child before disappearing into the night. Yeah. And then the family comes back and the, uh, the post credit scene is the, the mother and father being convicted of some sort of. Uh, negligent endangerment for having abandoned their child. Like, yes, he was murdered um, by these these bandits, but yes, you put him in the situation to do that. So no one wins here. Or even, how do you even prove that they weren't the ones who did it, right? Because yeah. it's like, wait, you really expect us to believe you just forgot your child? You, like, you, say, you say that people were burglarizing you. You're home in a wealthy neighborhood with security uh, lights uh, installed. And that they called themselves the Wet Bandits. Well, no, I guess, yeah, that is all information that we only have because they are brought to justice through the vigilante efforts of... of uh, The next door murderer. Ma- yeah, Kevin McAllister and, as I like to call him, Mr. Shovel. You know, let's do a new type of show. We're, we're going longer than ever not talking about the actual episode. Let's let's start a new series where we we introduce ourselves. Uh, it is still called the Big Bang Theory theory, and then we just never acknowledge why. That's the new, we just talk about whatever the fuck, and people just have to wonder what it was about. Yes, I don't think that would be that out of off brand for us. At this would not point. be unwelcome either. I don't think. Uh, but we should actually talk about the show that we have tasked ourselves with watching. All right. And, and today, dear listeners, we watched uh, Season 5, Episode 7, uh, which was uh, officially titled The Good Guy Fluctuation. And, Kyle, here's the thing, all right? Immediate rating, 4 out of 13 stars. Why? <laughs> not, not a bad episode. Not an upsetting episode. Honestly, not, not, not even close to the worst we've ever seen. But... Uh, sets me up for Halloween expectations and doesn't deliver. Uh, it, it turns into a prank show, which is fine, but not a spooky Halloween episode. And so I guess we'll start there. Uh, so short summary, um, cold open is Sheldon is working late in his own office at the university when he hears a spooky name beckoning, a spooky voice beckoning him. Uh, and as he steps outside into the hallway, the lights flicker and I think a light explodes and everything goes dark. He, he starts wandering down the hall, hallway. He, he is not at all uh, frightened. He knows that some there is some sort of rational explanation. Uh, a fluorescent skeleton comes out and spooks him. Ah, and he goes, oh, yes, I was a little scared. Oh, look, it's, it's Raj and Wallowitz, classic pranksters. Uh, he returns to his office unimpressed, only that while he is distracted by the two, uh, Wallowitz and Raj, uh, apologizing for how lame their prank was, uh... Wallowitz, not Wallowitz, uh, Leonard manages to sneak up on Sheldon in a spooky mask and gets him anyway. Ah, big scare. And Sheldon uh, faints and pisses himself. That's that's the intro to the episode, and that sets the tone. Because uh, we, we sort of have an A-plot here, 
But this is, you know, maybe this is a, a trope that I'm seeing emerge, or just a pattern at least, in the show of the the A-plot switcheroo, where the stuff that is obviously more dramatic and central to character development is given short shrift while trying to spook Sheldon, in this case, comes to the forefront. Because uh, when the episode actually begins, all the nerds are at the comic book shop. What would you know? A hot babe comes in. Leonard manages to get her phone number through some awkward chit-chat. And his plot is that he, he ends up making out with her and wants to pursue her. But Priya, who gets paid to appear in this episode for about 30 seconds, uh, is still his girlfriend. And so he, he struggles with whether he should make a move on, on the hot comic book lady or if he should uh, you know stay, stay true to Priya. And I will say I was frustrated by hot comic book lady and that she was uh, shockingly accurate for... <laughs> She's she's the exact kind of person that would walk into a, a, a comic book shop. Except she's she ends up not being terrible. She she actually is probably the most decent person in the episode. Because by the end of it, uh Leonard does back out. He ends up making out with the comic book lady, but backs off because he's like, I do have a girlfriend, I'm gonna do the right thing. Tells Priya over video call, and Priya's like, Oh, well, I'm glad you said something, because I totally fucked my ex a week ago. I guess we're samesies. And so that is, like I said, the A plot of the episode. It is given about two minutes of screen time. <laughs> the rest of it is everyone's trying to spook Sheldon. Ah, and he, they can't do it because Sheldon is too gosh darn rational. And Sheldon, meanwhile, is trying to turn around and, and prank everyone around him. His, his main prank that, that doesn't quite work is he, he creates uh, a, a complicated electric hand buzzer, but only manages to shock himself with it several times. Uh, in the very last scene in the episode, when Leonard is confronting Priya about his semi-infidelity, uh, it turns out that Sheldon was hiding in the couch the entire time, jumps out of the couch covered in zombie makeup, and gives Leonard a mighty scare. That's the end of the episode. Uh, I did like the one Sheldon spooky moment, but let's let's tear, tear into this baby. So, uh, any major plot points left uh untold that you want to get into or should we just get to nitpicking uh i think uh when leonard is looking for advice he goes to penny yes. to ask her her opinion about it and that was sort of an interesting i mean i think i mostly noted it because it was like the first time we've seen like leonard and penny have a conversation about anything in what feels like a very long time so in fact, maybe that was even because it was actually, I think, the funniest line in the episode. Um, well, I, I thought it was funny. My girlfriend, she laughed her ass off, which was uh, um, he goes to Penny and is like, you know how we used to date? And she was like, oh, that's where I know you from, which is a pretty funny, like sarcastic comeback. Wasn't bad. Um, but also uh, does sort of lampshade the fact that they really haven't talked or acknowledged the fact that they were in a relationship a while now but anyway he's he's like he's like oh and he says i think uh leonard says one of the most relatable things which is uh she's like she's like so uh you think you're the kind of guy who's going to like you know cheat on his girlfriend and have a hot hookup with a sexy stranger and he's like i don't think i'm that guy but man i really want to be that guy which is like i get that yeah uh, it's time for a very short Nick Hyde's uh, oversharing personal life story. 
Nick's Oversharing Life Story. It's Nick's Oversharing Life Story, where Nick tells stories about himself that usually make him look pretty badass and have a certain amount of sexual prowess, or they're about a time he lost his pants. But I'm bump. This falls somewhere in the middle, I think. Uh, I once was dating a lady, and it it became long distance, much in the same way of, of Leonard and Priya's relationship, where we uh, were, were in school together, and then she she ended up going home for a while. And while, while she was in another state, and so while she was back home, I did end up, I didn't mean for it to be a date, but I did get drinks with an ex. There was some makeout infidelity, I'm going to admit to. But in trying to ward that off, I was like, I'm not just going to not see her. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to eat a whole bunch of raw garlic and olives and other stuff that will make my, my mouth stink and be briny and gross, and I'll be too, I'll be too pungent for her to make out with. But Kyle, yes, my aforementioned sexual prowess was too much. No woman can resist. And so, in in spite of my attempt to kind of prank myself, there there were still some makeouts, and then I had to have an uncomfortable talk. So good times. Comic book lady in this episode uh, was to me shockingly realistic, except for the part where. Her own sociopathic tendencies are revealed. It was that was the only thing is that's like oh she actually uh, seems like a regular human person. Um, but the detail that really won me over that made it fully accurate was so she she starts uh, chatting up Leonard. She's very direct and immediately starts hitting on him. Uh, she seems to be genuinely nerdy, and I'm like okay all of that is pretty good. And then she's like oh here's the comic book I've been working on. It's graphic depictions of me fucking someone in a Chewbacca costume. And I was like, <laughs> that cinches it. That's because that's the behavior where you go from this is a cool and interesting lady to there's no reason she should immediately be showing this. This is a, a red flag and a half, but it's also the most enticing possible thing that she like. It's it's like, here's a preview of what it would be like to have sex with me and hear how low my standards are. Here's my phone number. You just have to see what's waiting in my trap now. That's, that's all. <laughs> so, so, okay, that, yeah. So I had sort of, just to translate your, yeah, I thought she was a very realistic person too, except for the part where she's interested at all in Leonard. Like, I was like, this feels like some sort of trap somehow. And I guess that's basically what you're saying too, except in your version, the trap is less an actual serial killer and more, she's obviously crazy. Well, see, the thing is, though, is that in the real world, yeah, she would probably be incredibly maladjusted. But in this episode, she's cool. Like, that's that's the most unrealistic thing is, like, Leonard does, um, he does go on the date with her. And there are some makeouts, and he stops, and he's like, here's what's up. You're hot. I do want to be the good guy in the situation. So let's just going back to being friends. And she, to her credit, is like, uh, eat my whole entire ass. Get out of here. <laughs> Um, and so he's just stuck. And that's something that Penny, um, she d- does provide some actual insight, I think, when uh, Leonard comes to her and, and, and is like, oh, God, like, there's this hot girl I want to make out with, but I've got a girlfriend. I don't know what to do. And Penny's like, so what you're asking is you want to try to have sex with both of them and for everybody to be happy? And he's like, yeah, that's, that's, that sounds great. And um, it's it's good that that comic book lady was not willing to settle for that, that she was like, I'm into you. Well, why I, would she settle? I mean, he's Leonard. 
That's the only... I mean, I know I'm overthinking this, but, like, the least realistic... If, if Leonard looked like, frankly, anyone ridiculously conventionally... Like, not even that... Like, I get that hot, particularly hot, like, kinky goth ladies can be into nerds, but usually they're at least tall nerds. I guess that's true. I mean, like, Leonard, though... I mean, he is obviously the the nerd that he's... Well, you know, he's playing the nerdy type, and that's that's kind of his character type, it seems... But he's not bad looking. Like he's he's handsome. He's just not movie star handsome. But I think if you were to see him in real life, you'd still be like, "Oh, that's a good looking guy." And so that that part doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, he's he's lampooned as being a goofy looking guy, but I don't think he really is that goofy. Maybe I guess I guess what I have issue with is, and it's fine. But uh, it's like it's hardly the biggest way in which the Big Bang Theory has inverted its own continuity over time. But one of the things that I noticed, right, is at the beginning of the, the before uh, she gives Leonard her number, uh, Stuart, the comic book shop owner, tries to put the moves on her and totally like has some sort of very uh, like comic spaz meltdown and it doesn't work at all. And so then Leonard talks to her, and it works out. And what's funny about that is it's literally the exact inversion of the first time that we meet Stuart. Because in that situation, Leonard takes Penny to the comic book shop. At that point, they're not dating, and Leonard can't get any traction in that relationship. And Stuart says a few self-effacive things, and they end up going on a date. So it's like, when did the power, when did the balance of power shift between these two men? That's a good question. There was, I remember... I, I once worked at a comic book shop, and... Did anyone that hot as that lady ever walk in there? Oh, absolutely. I, and, I, and so, but I was somewhere in between the Leonard and Stuart, where I think I felt much more like a Stuart. And I remember a babe once coming in, and we ended up going on a date after I made some random self-effacing comments. But because I was so genuinely self-loathing, I didn't realize it was a date because I'm like, oh, a random hot lady just wants to hang out. That's that's a thing that adults do. She, this certainly isn't a dating and measuring interests thing or anything like that. So I don't know. We got ice cream and talked about comic books and then I just never saw her again because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. But um, there's power in being the comic book guy. The nerd ladies are like, well, if you work in a comic book shop, you must at least meet the baseline nerd criteria and so if you cover that and you're not, like, actively spraying slime off of your body, you, you've met, I think, you've, you've met, you've cleared most of the hurdles towards being <laughs> attractive enough for, for comic shop people. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I guess I'll, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, What else about episode? Because, like, you know, th- there's a handful of pranks. Uh, there's one that, um... I wasn't going to bring it up initially because this is like, there. there's a mild bit of racism in here, I thought, but I wasn't even sure it was racist, which is why I was on the fence where Sheldon, again, in trying to prank anyone else, he he apparently shares an office with Raj, which I forgot or don't remember. He's just hanging out in there or whatever. But No, because remember, Raj was going to lose his whole, uh, Raj was going to lose his, uh, not his citizenship he doesn't have it he was gonna lose his green card essentially because he he wasn't working on any scientific uh research that was panning out and so as a uh bone to him 
to help him stay in the country. Uh, Sheldon agreed to share an office with him, and theoretically they're collaborating on astrophysics research together, even though you actually never see that. I completely forgot about that, and I'm shocked that the series has kept up that kind of continuity, so thank you. Um, But yes, so they are in the same office. Sheldon gets in before Raj and hides a snake in one of the desk drawers. Raj uh, sits down. Sheldon coaxes him into opening the snaky drawer. But when he opens it, Raj is like, Oh, look, sweet little baby, a snake. Oh, we gotta take care of you. And Sheldon's like, Ah, foolish me for for trying to scare an Indian person with a snake. And I was like, Ah, I don't know. I don't know if that's racist or not. Are Indian people like snakes common enough that... It would be like seeing a squirrel, or or is that a, a negative stereotype that's being there? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's definitely a little negative, but it it, it depends on the. It's mostly it. I'll. It makes Raj look like the line from Sheldon isn't great, but it, Raj comes off, you know, as a good person, you know, taking care of his snake, and it yes. does. Maybe I would be more critical, but I did actually read like a Facebook article the other day, which is about how this Indian man recently set a world record. For like being in a, he said Guinness World Record for like longest time spent in like a small enclosure with a shitload of snakes. Huh. Because um, he basically he spent three days in like a in like a glass cage with a bunch of snakes crawling around, several of whom were lethal. And they were like, "What gave you the idea to do this?" And he was like, "I don't know." A guy in Australia was like, "I'm the snake guy," and he was like, "No, no, 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 India, <laughs> we are the snake people." He's like, apparently, he was like, "My job used to be like." removing snakes from hotels and things and i learned that they're not that scary or mean so i was like i can i can do this to to win that record to be the guy in the enclosure with all the snakes do you have to be trying to win the record does it have to be on purpose or yeah there was a there was a guinness guy there who was like you know observing well i'm just wondering like what like what if you fell into a trap and you were covered in snakes for days because you were so disoriented and it took you like five or six days to get out. And you, you shared your story with, you know, maybe not the Guinness people, but anyone who, who would be into that only to be told that, like, ah, there wasn't an official there. <laughs> that was, yeah, that would suck. I mean, of course, you would need a way to measure it, but just to be like, what, what did I live through? I don't, I don't get an award for this. I don't get the official Guinness sanction. <laughs> I, I ate three of them, and, and two of them started eating me. I mean, you'd definitely get a BuzzFeed article out of it, but that would be it. Yeah. Oh, well. I think, I think my main... So there's also a line similarly. Uh, so when Sheldon goes to prank uh, Wallowitz, he's rigged up an elaborate electric trap. Yes. Um, and somehow, in a way that they never established, Wallowitz sees it coming a mile away and fakes having a... Uh, a shock-induced heart uh, attack, and uh, Sheldon is supposed to Pulp Fiction him, which is what I call it when you jam an adrenaline needle into someone's uh, chest. Yes. Um, but that's it's all a prank, and I only mention it because Sheldon said, because Bernadette, who is also in on the joke, says, you know he has a bad heart, and Sheldon goes, yes, but he's Jewish. I thought he was being a hypochondriac. They, that's what they do, right? Um <laughs> Which is uh, also a little bit of a... Yeah, that's another one where I was like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Well, I'm, it's not great, but I was like, you know what? 
I know a lot of Jewish people work on this show. It's like there are some Jewish writers in this writer's room. They're allowed to make fun of themselves. Are there any Indian writers in this writer's room? That's always where I come back to. Yeah, that's a good question. Also, you reminded me something um, I just learned the other day about that Pulp Fiction scene with the uh, adrenaline in the heart is apparently um, that was based off of in uh, the, in the movie Taxi Driver, the, the character that sells um, Robert De Niro his guns, the character's name is Easy Andy, and I guess that guy wasn't an actor. He was, he was just like a, a, an underworld sales guy. And so the the bit he was doing in the movie was like his routine. He he went he was called Easy Andy and in a documentary about him, he talked about the time when one of his friends or somebody had overdosed and he had to put the adrenaline in their heart. And so the the Quentin Tarantino scene is based off of this guy's life from the character he played in another movie. Whoa. That's that's if it were anyone else but Tarantino, I'd be like, well, that seems like a weird detail, but no, it tracks. I was watching a documentary about a, a minor character in Taxi Driver, and they had an interesting anecdote, and now it's in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that tracks. Well, and, and the documentary, too, I haven't seen it yet, but apparently, if I remember right, it was directed also by Scorsese, where, like, in putting together the movie is like oh this guy's really interesting but now as i say that i'm like panicking because i'm like wait did scorsese do taxi driver i don't actually know no who did taxi calm driver. down you're right martin scorsese definitely did taxi driver <laughs> can't be wrong on the internet can't be wrong on the internet <laughs> <laughs> it was written the real question is what's the name of the guy who wrote taxi driver I think oh i have no idea i think it's paul schrader wrote taxi driver i think okay. that's right schroeder schrader i think it's schrader schrader sounds right I also, I remember this tweet I like that uh, said movies should really tell you what the, uh, the, 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 it's really about in the title and that Taxi Driver should be corrected as Weird Taxi Driver. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> oh, that's completely, well, not as there was this, now I'm just telling, God, the, 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 sorry, but this is the, the natural end of our show where, where Nick Hyde just remembers funny things he read on the internet years ago. <laughs> But there, uh, someone had put together a list of um, if Ayn Rand were to have reviewed, reviewed movies, and her review for uh, The Muppets Take Manhattan was one out of five stars. They do not take Manhattan, they merely visit it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I think anyway. I've seen that, but it's been a while. Um... <laughs> Anything more about this episode? <laughs> no, I, I'm going back to your very original critique. This episode starts with, like, basically like a horror motif including they they change all the camera work so that like we have like close end shaky cam angles on like uh uh sheldon as he walks down the hall so it looks much more like an episode of like are you afraid of the dark or something yeah there's a legit couple minutes where it is not in sitcom mode and yeah i liked i honestly i thought i was kind of hoping it was going to turn into one of those episodes uh I mean, usually when they do this, it turns out it was all a dream at the end. But, you know, where it's just like a, a straightforward spoof on like a slasher movie or something like that. And, you know, all of the characters died horribly. And then Sheldon wakes up and he would just, you know, eaten some bad Chinese food. And it was all a dream. I love those kind of episodes. Mm-hmm. They're always so good. But not I mean, this, this time it was real. It was real life. And I, I, yeah. I don't know. I was kind of relieved it didn't turn out to be a dream. I know exactly what we're talking about. And... Had the episode had the episode committed to that and got increasingly 
spooky and bizarre, that would have been nice. But that isn't what happened, alas. <gasps> oh, well. Um, anything else about the other? No, always be communicative and open with your romantic partners to avoid infidelity or not finding out that you were cheated on until it's uh, too late to bang the hot comic book lady? Well, I mean, I, th- I think uh, commit to a plan. Don't try to have it both ways. Our, oh, this is the new. This is the new lesson we thing we do. Lessons we learned from the episode. Moral corner, moral panic. I don't know. I'm already abandoning it as it's starting. Let's move on to our nerd thing of the week. <laughs> All right. So I, I do have one loaded. Unless you want to go first, up to you, Kyle. No, go ahead. All right. Um, because you told me I, I have recommended it before, and I believe you. Uh, I will very very briefly re-recommend your next. It's great. Uh, if you, it, it seems like a standard slasher movie, and in some ways it is, but I won't go any further than that. You should just watch it and trust me. Um, Isn't that just like Home Alone for adults, though? I will put my entire arm down your throat, not to punch you in your insides, but just so you know what it's like to have my entire arm down your throat. Yeah, um, if I like that. Then we have um, a new closeness that we can never go back from. <laughs> It's, we've crossed a new threshold together. Yeah. I just like the idea of this episode, like Seinfeld, just ending where it began. So uh, we start by talking, we end by talking about, I should have let you go last because then we could have ended by talking about your next. And if someone wanted to loop this episode around so that it was a single perfect circle they could listen to forever, they could fuck. Alas. Well, I'll just have to shoehorn it in at the very last moment in an incredibly natural way. Um, Instead, my recommendation this time uh, is going to be another uh, awkward music recommendation. Because I, I think I've previously recommend generally, the works of Danzig. I've also, I, I tried to recommend The Knife and then realized I didn't really know what the fuck I was talking about uh, and, and flamed out. This is going to be somewhere in the middle where I am recommending this time the works of the band Type O Negative. Or, if I were to have a cover band of them, typo, negative. And, thank you. Uh, and, for those who, who do not know, typo, negative, uh, they no longer exist. Sadly, uh, in a very on-brand way, the, the, the main... No, no, never mind! I was going to say the, the, the singer committed suicide. That's not true. He did die, but it was not suicide. He had a long, long history of depression and major depressive episodes, which, uh, I guess... To get it out of the way, Typo Negative is very much uh, a goth band. They're they're goth metal, bordering on industrial. But I think, unlike a lot of goth bands, they do not take themselves very seriously, and they are aware of how ridiculous the entire concept of being goth is. And so, their probably most well recognized song is called Black Number One, uh, aka Little Miss Scarol. Uh, and it talks about what it's like to date a lady big in the goth scene. And the title is a reference to, you know, not being able to go out because you haven't put your, your black hair dye in and your roots are showing again. Uh, but he also, in, in in spite of, like, not taking the bigger goth scene seriously, uh, you still deal with a lot of the themes in that kind of music. So there's a lot about, you know loss and grieving and sorrow and all those th- things except it's all a little bit uh more silly and i think 
in a way, it makes those themes a lot more accessible. <laughs> like, there's a song called uh, Everyone I Love is Dead. You're never going to guess what it's about. But I think, um, in a way, uh, Peter Steele, the front man, he, he, he deals with these things so directly in kind of a, a plain way. It's almost, I think, uh, it, it's better uh, for it that it's not particularly articulate that um, it's just a lot easier to have to relate to. It's it's not putting on the airs. He's not talking about what it's like to be a vampire in a castle. He's like, I'm real fucking sad. Yes, I look like Frankenstein and Dracula combined, but uh, I'm, just, I'm just crying out my pain. Also, uh, if you want to see a super hunky man, Peter Steele is also that. Uh, he He's like... I don't know. I maybe this I'm overestimating. I think he's about 13 feet tall. Uh, he's he's super beefy. Oh my god, he looks exactly like the lead. Like he looks like the dude. If you told me the dude Metal in Metal uh, however you say that oh, Metal Apocalypse was based Nathan off this Steel, dude, I think I would yeah. be like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. No, Nathan Explosion. That's who he was. But yes, uh, I think in the early 90s he was in an episode of Playgirl which he would talk about being one of his greatest regrets because instead of getting him more babes, instead he just found himself with a young gay male fan base. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's also worth pointing out that he he and I think most of the band, if not all of them, were New Yorkers. And so whenever he did interviews, he'd have this thick New York accent that I always loved. Because they're like, oh, what, what goes into your writing? And he's like, oh, you know, there's nothing more evil than like thick crust pizza. <laughs> so, um... He's great. It looks like he's going to challenge Connor McLeod to a duel for control of the prize. Yeah, he's 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 a, a giant, muscly, sexy, sad man with ridiculous green eyes, which I, I'm confident are contacts. But anyway, we'll end there. I, I just listen to them generally. Let's start with Black Number One if you want an intro song. Uh, type O negative. There you go. Kyle, your turn. Uh, mine's kind of lame and corporate, but, you know, damn it if I haven't been having a good time. Uh, I have had a PS5 for a couple of months now, and no game that I've played on it has actually been... I mean, I've had fun with the games, but none of them have I been like, well, this is a significantly better experience than anything yeah. I can a imagine playing on a PS4. Gen. Yeah. The first game to make me feel that way is ironically still a PS4 game, but it was a PS4 game that they redid for the PS5, and that is uh, Sony's Spider-Man, or Sony's oh. Marvel Spider-Man. Okay, and so I'm going to have a question, and you, maybe you'll answer. Is it, was the, the game before it also have Miles Morales in it? Is this like a Miles Morales reskin? I'm confused. Explain. So, okay, yes, I will be happy. So, in... Uh, I actually don't remember when the first game came out, but uh, the I think it's Insomniac Games, the guys who made the infamous games. They got the rights to develop for Sony a uh, Spider-Man game. You know, Spider-Man games are notoriously infamous for, like, everybody wants them to be really good, but only, like, one in a very small handful is ever actually good or fun. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they made uh, an incredibly robust, like, open-world uh, RPG Spider-Man game starring Peter Parker. Um, and yes, I think in the game you meet Miles Morales as a character, um, but he's not Spider-Man yet. And uh. then the game was very, you know, it was relatively well-reviewed and popular. 
Um, although some people had freakouts, there was this whole thing where people felt like they'd been lied to about the graphics because a puddle in a demo didn't look as good as like was moved from where the puddle was in the demo versus the puddle in the actual game when it came out. It was very weird. Nerd but, um, shit. Yeah. But people generally liked the game a lot, thought it was really good. Um, and then, uh, yes, so for PS5, like their flagship launch title was they made a second Spider-Man game, which is a sequel to the first game, only in this one you play as the Miles Morales Spider-Man. So it is, so the, so there's Marvel Spider-Man, and then there's, uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, and those two, two games have near identical gameplay, and the second one is a sequel to the first one, and it's supposed to be slightly better, um, and more focused, but I haven't gotten there yet, because I had never played the first one. I had basically, um, so some good things to say about it is it's a very, uh, in terms of the story, if you like Spider-Man, it's a very good Spider-Man story. Um, if you know everything about Spider-Man, well, so if you don't know anything about Spider-Man, it's a good introduction to the character because it's like basically a crash course. It condenses like a whole bunch of different things that have happened in the Spider-Man comics into like their own little narrative universe in a way that's pretty uh, compelling. And this version, Spider-Man is just out of college. He's been Spider-Man for about eight years. His main nemesis is the Kingpin. But at the start of the game, he finally defeats the Kingpin once and for all, leading, uh-oh, to a sort of a long Halloween-type crisis, which is where you get when you get rid of the Mafia, that's when all the real super freaks move in to fill in the void. So now... You know, it's, you know, Norman Osborn has just started rearing his ugly head and, uh, and, uh, you know, this, this, uh, Chinese criminal boss called Mr. Negative is running around. And most tragically, you know, you, you work for a guy who just wants to make prosthetics for veterans who have lost their arms. And he is a very supportive, fatherly mentor figure. And that is Dr. Otto Octavius, who just <laughs> wants to save the world. And looks as Peter like his son, and you're like, oh, this is going to be fucking heartbreaking how this plays out. So, if you don't know anything about Spider-Man, I think it would be a pretty good story and introduction to the character. If you do know everything about Spider-Man, like me, it's pretty fun train spotting. You're like, ah, this is a pretty good way to work all this lore that's been, like, compiled over, like, the last 50 years into a single narrative. Um, but really, what's great about it is just the gameplay. Just the web swinging is fucking phenomenal. Just it, New York is nice and big and it has all of the landmarks that you expect, plus some fictional ones from Marvel, like Avengers Tower is there. And just web swinging around New York City, it looks and feels fucking amazing. And I just forgot, like, this is why, you know, there are better video game experiences and there are better reasons to play video games. But I think the main reason that I enjoy playing video games is I enjoy pretending to be some badass mythical person that I am not. I love the Batman Arkham games because they, I got to feel like I was Batman for a little while. Uh, I love the Witcher games because I got to feel like a badass monster hunter. And I love this new, I love the Spider-Man game because goddamn, does it really make you feel when you're swinging around like, oh yeah, this is, this is what Spider-Man feels like. This is great. So, uh, you know, 10 out of 10 would recommend to anyone and I can't wait to finish it and then play the sequel like back to back because I am deep in the weeds on this one. Uh, the one, uh, oh, and even the, so one 
drawback and then one other awesome thing. The one drawback that it was criticized for at the time is, at least in the first one, you spend a lot of time working in the police. I think that was, like, there was a whole, like, uh, subtext... as part of the discourse at the time was the cop yeah because it, it, right? it came out right in the mid like as Black Lives Matter at, was hitting its its peak uh, in the discourse and so it was just a bad look that right as like people are being like you know maybe the police are a bunch of violent irrational thugs that this game came out where you know you are you literally like you know how in like Assassin's Creed and a bunch of other open world games you climb towers to like map out the area sure. In this one, you're literally going around helping to restore a bunch of surveillance radio towers that allow the police to communicate about Uh-oh. all of the crimes that are happening in Uh-oh. New York City. So your your Spider-Man, the vigilante, is helping aid the, the police surveillance state. Um, not a good look, but also I will say, you know, while that criticism is valid, it's valid. There's basically no superhero who is like... Uh, not complicit, like, in, you know, the police infrastructure. Like, even Batman, who's supposed to be a badass vigilante, like, who's his best friend? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, Superman, you think Superman doesn't regularly stop by and, like, have coffee with, like, you know, all the people on the police force? Of course sure. he does. So, it's, like, it's not unusual. Um, it was, yeah, bad timing, but certainly not, like, Spider-Man is an exception. Yes. Um, and... As bad as that is, there are multiple scenes set inside Aunt May's, uh, it has helped volunteer and set up a homeless shelter. So there are a lot of really empathetic portrayals of, like, homeless people in the game and what they're going through and, like, how they're basically just, you know, normal people trying to get back on their feet or whatever. I'm actually relieved you said that because when you were talking about all the radio uh towers going back up for the cops i was wondering like i was imagining spider-man having a conversation with an officer where they have like the motion detector from aliens except they're using them to track down homeless people it's like what do you (laughs) what do you what do you need the uh the vagrantometer for here officer i'm not sure that i feel comfortable signing off on that honestly but no No, that's good it's most like in any other video game i mean it's like an immersive plot but uh like all superhero stories, there's like 40 times as much like random like daytime muggings and kidnappings and like bank robberies as you ever hear about in the real world. Although again, because I feel like the game is cleverly written, one of the ways it lampshades that is you just took down the kingpin. So like the person who was like at the top who was making all sh- like sure that all the crime ran smoothly and you know that all of the dirty stuff went on under the table where it wasn't bothering the tourists He's out of the picture, so now it's all open gang warfare and uh, b- daylight bank robberies and stuff. So that's all good. Um, the other thing, my uh, there are like 10,000 Spider-Man skins in it, um, most of which you unlock through like upgrades and level and you know leveling up and stuff. But right at, at the beginning, one of the default skins that you can select instead of the costume that they want you to wear in the game, is the Sam Raimi Spider-Man costume from uh, the, his the Spider-Man? Yeah, from his movies, and that I I had forgotten, but I think it's just definitively true. That is the best Spider-Man costume that we have ever gotten. Just swinging around in a video game wearing that one, it looks it continues to look so photorealistic. It's just like the perfect blend of like completely uh iconic and in touch with the classic spider-man costume from the comic books but with just enough texture and light 
to make it look like something someone could really wear, that it is perfect. And I never get tired of swinging around New York City in my, you know, one-for-one CGI uh, recreation of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man costume. Hearing you talk about this is warming my heart. I'm also remembering how great it was seeing that first Spider-Man movie, you know, before Marvel became the enterprise it is now and to be like oh my god someone did a comic book thing right oh great this will never happen again (laughs) it's like no one will ever capture this level of love and fidelity to a comic book ever again spider-man 2 was pretty good and then everything else happened yeah and you know what else was good about it 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 took place in time before we had to watch 20 youtube videos breaking down every panel of it Uh... so yeah that's my recommendation, Marvel Spider-Man for the PS. You can play it for the PS4 or the PS5. Although fucked up, if you want to play the the version that's remastered for the PS5, the only way to get it is by paying extra money and getting the like the Miles Morales game. You have to get them bundled together, or the only version of the Spider-Man uh, of the first Spider-Man game that you can play is the PS4 version. That's pretty dildos. Oh well, that's how they get you. Still a corporate product. Well, I think I think that was pretty good. We got we got sad beefcake music, and we have surprisingly good heartfelt rendition of Spider Man and his adventures. <sighs> good nerding. We did it. We did it again. I don't have a good outro this time. I feel like I've really been struggling with those recently. Kyle, take take us home. So, have you ever heard of this movie that um, it's like your next? Oh, yeah. What could that possibly be about? And what's it like? I don't... I mean, I I was thinking about it the other day. It's pretty good, but I realized, like, in the middle of it, don't you think it's basically just, like, Home Alone, but, like, for adults? Fuck!